Welcome to Inner Guidance Daily, episode number 11 with Marianne Cantwell. Where to start when your heart calls? Marianne is the author of Be a Free Range Human. We talk about what that even means. We also talk a lot about her book, which I highly recommend Be a Free Range Human. She's the founder of Free Range Humans and a TEDx speaker. She speaks on the hidden powers of not always fitting in, which we talk about here in this episode. It has over half a million views and was named by entrepreneur.com as one of the top 10 TEDx talks to watch to help you overcome fear of failure. In 2019, Marianne's thinking was featured in Business Insider, Inc.com, BBC World, The Telegraph. She's also been featured in The Guardian, Daily Mail, Glamour, Psychologies, Forbes, CBS Money, and Founder, and right here on Inner Guidance Daily. She left the corporate life over a decade ago and spent years traveling the world full-time with her laptop. Today, she lives between LA and New York and London and still travels to quiet beach spots often. She tells us here on this episode how to begin when you feel like your heart, your inner guidance is pulling you to start something, to do something, try something new, to trust your inner wisdom, your inner guidance, so that you can start living the lifestyle you want, maybe perhaps do the work you want to do in life. And her advice is extremely practical. And in her book, How to Be a Free Range Human, there's clearly states out how you can start to do this. But here in this conversation, I ask the questions you're likely wondering, how do I start? Where do I start? How do I overcome perfectionism? How do I let go of some of the beliefs that I have? How do I have the right mind frame to begin to listen when my heart is calling? I know you'll enjoy this episode so, so much. If this is the first time you're joining Inner Guidance Daily, my name is Lauren. I'm a meditation guide, friend, mother, fellow seeker. I created Inner Guidance Daily podcast to help you connect to your own inner awareness so that you can truly live the life you want to live. You can connect with me here on Instagram, innerrebel.co. You can also shoot me an email at lauren at innerrebel.co anytime. Tell me what's on your mind, what you'd like to hear from this podcast, and anything else that you may be interested in. I look forward to hearing from you and enjoy this conversation with Marianne so much. Welcome to Inner Guidance Daily Podcast. I'm joined with Marianne Cantwell. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're so, I'm so excited that you're here. So I wanted to share a little background about how I got introduced to you. So I was, um, I got asked to do a meditation um, here in Boise, TEDx Boise, and to do a guided meditation for TEDx, which I thought was so fun and cool. And I was going through TEDx videos and talks and I stumbled across Marion Cantwell. <laughs> and um, I was just immediately drawn in and was just like, this is, this is me. She's talking about me. So uh, what you said in the TEDx talk um, was, you know, nobody is really fitting into this box that, there is, that you're liminal. And that was the first time I heard somebody really explain what that is. And I was hoping you could just share, maybe riff a little bit on what it means to be liminal. Yeah. It was a word that I was obsessed with and I realized not many people had ever heard it because it's usually used by anthropologists, um, which aren't like the biggest population in the world. And so I wanted to bring it in because when I heard this word, I felt like it described me and it basically describes 
the state of not be quite being one thing or another. So it's just either a state of becoming, so you can be in a time in your life that is a transition, which is liminal, or it can be an identity that's liminal. So you have, the way I say it in my talk, is you have a foot in one world and a foot in another. And that there's so many of us who are never quite one thing, and we can spend all our lives looking for another box to fit in. And I used to see this all the time in my, my work with you know, clients, with the groups I ran, it was like people starting their own business, changing what they do. Often they, people would go in and say, that is where my answer lies, being more like that person. That's where I fit. And they get there and then they'd have to leave another piece of themselves at the door to fit that new box. And what I, over time, what I discovered was the people who are leaders, people who are thriving in what they do, actually don't fit any box perfectly well. They're people who have a foot in the world that they're in, but their power and their influence and their joy and their happiness actually comes from their difference. Uh, and we can talk more about that, but I see it everywhere. It's something I've experienced. And so I want to share it when I get my talk. Yeah, it was so eye-opening and you did it in a way that was so uh, relatable. You know, it was like, oh, that's me and that's so many people around me. So tell us your personal experience with being liminal and what that meant for you. Well, I grew up, I think I mentioned this in my talk, I grew up in Australia with an English father, a Mauritian, French-speaking Mauritian mother in a conservative town in Australia. So I grew up speaking French, having a weird accent, uh, being like the super smart geek. So I was like, fitting in was like not my superpower, but I was always very good at looking like I fit in. So you know, I think we, some of us learn the tools for being a bit of a chameleon and being our like, look like you just pass. Um, but I just had this sense from, from a very young age that I didn't have one place in the world that I could ever go where I would even sound like I fitted in. And so I had to start getting to grips with that identity very young. And over time, I tried on a lot of different things. Like I tried on the, the robe of being like the high achiever, the academic, sort of like top of my class. Like I was going to actually do a PhD and be an academic at one point. Um, then I tried on uh, traveling after I graduated from college, from university, went to the other side of the world, um, backpacked for a while, loved that, but I wasn't, that wasn't really going to be my, I didn't think that was going to be my life uh, back then. And then I tried on the corporate, like, thing where I'd be like, maybe I'll work in the corporate world. That will work really well for me. And that was probably the worst fit that I could have possibly tried on. <laughs> and, um, and I remember being in that world and one day just thinking, what happened to me? What happened to the person who could see all these possibilities? And you know, I was so entrepreneurial and creative when I was younger. Where's she gone? And so I, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but I end up quitting my job starting my own business. And then I tried on the mantle of those businesses. I tried on, I was very early in the online marketing world before there were courses on it. Like I created the first things around it. And after a few years in that, I was really well established. I had a best-selling book out and I realized I didn't fit that world either. And that was when things really shifted for me personally. 
um, because now I was in the spotlight, I was visible. And my biggest thing was, I don't fit here. I am not the same as these people. And I actually didn't really want to be, it wasn't me. And so I went on a really big personal journey to come to terms with that. And my TED talk was actually me saying, hey, this is who I am, I don't fit. And I didn't know if anyone would resonate aside from a few people who were a little bit stuck in a job. So many people came out and said, it's not just you. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where I got to. And I ended up like creating a whole new thing after that, that was a lot more aligned. And I think we, we're never as alone as we think we are is what I've really taken from that journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what was it about, what was it about once you were in the spotlight that you felt like you didn't fit? Like, what was it about that mm. world that wasn't you? I felt that I was always more sensitive than people realized. Um, and there's, you know, that I'm sure of your listeners will know this as well. The online entrepreneurial world can be a lot of talk about hustle and very, um, I probably say very masculine energy, even though it's not gendered specifically, but very masculine pushing energy. Um, and I spent a lot of my early career doing in my own business, very highly adrenalized because you know, I had to earn my own income. Like I wasn't doing it as a side project or a hobby. When I left my job, I had to support myself. And so I had this head thing that if I don't go in and just give everything and basically burn myself out to do things, there is no way I can have success. But that wasn't who I wanted to be. And I think there's a lot of people in, in that space that is who they are. And it wasn't who I was. That was like, that's a piece of me. Like I'm like super driven. I love doing well at stuff. But a bigger piece of me is, you know, I love, you can probably see part of my bookshelf there, you know, I love reading novels. I am like a painter. I'm obsessed with like sound healing. And I had this other side that didn't have a home, like especially at the time I was doing it. And so I was hiding that. Um, and I was trying to be like this bit that was maybe 50% of me, I was making it a hundred percent. And that's what the liminal idea is about is about saying, hold on, you don't have to be a hundred percent that what if your power is in being, having enough of the foot in one world to pass and to, you don't have to rewrite all the rules. Like to me, being liminal is not exactly the same as being a rebel. It's actually about saying you don't have to rewrite all the rules, but actually you can take from that and put your own spin on it. And what I learned was I had so much more success after I came out with that than I did before. And I think that's once you find your own formula, like your own little like groove in the world, that's what I tend to see with people. Right. Okay. So how do we find that? <laughs> how do we do it? How, well, first, before you, well, yeah, go ahead. Tell us, how do we do No, that? you go, go for it. Go, what, what would you like to ask the most? I was going to say, tell us, okay, so you quit your corporate job, right? And you, you yes. take this big, well, maybe in your mind, you felt like it was a risk, but looking back on it, maybe not the biggest risk. It was a lot of rewards that came from it. And it wasn't so risky. Um, mm -hmm. You left the corporate job, you start free range human. What is a free range human? First up, free range human is someone who basically finds a path that fits the person that they are and the life that they want to live. So it's different from being like just a business owner or entrepreneur in that you are at the center of it, in that your personality 
decides like how you show up, how you do marketing and the life that you want to live is as much of a guiding light as the, the business choices. So to me, a freelance human is someone who is be able to live on their own terms in a certain way, but really in line aligned with who they are. Um, and when I was in the corporate world, I had no idea what a free range human was because we didn't have any of those back then, you know, when I was, uh, that wasn't that term before I created it. And I actually didn't quit my job to create free range humans. I quit my job to have a portfolio career. Um, and free range humans actually evolved out of that because people kept asking me, how did you quit your job and start your own thing? And it actually came out of almost like demand and what I noticed, which is a real theme I see with people. Like so often what you think you're going to do is only the seed and the shoots and the thing that's success comes out of starting. Yes. I've seen that too. And not only my own yeah. personal journey, but um, for sure with people around me, you, you start off, you know, with one idea and then it evolves into yes. something else. Um, how do you start, where would somebody start? Like they're in the corporate job and they're feeling like this isn't me. There's so many more aspects of me to your point, you know, being liminal and having the power may not be like, okay, my whole identity, my whole lifestyle is around being a teacher or my whole yeah. identity, my whole lifestyle is around being a businesswoman or businessman. Yeah. Like where do you start to be able to create a life where you are living your lifestyle you want and doing a job you want where is ground zero start starting point one <laughs> i okay <laughs> it's a big question um and my that's pretty much what my book's about as you know be a free range human um it actually depends where you are starting from because if you are at the point where you like i actually do have an idea that's a very different start point to someone who says i have no idea who i could be outside of this so starting from that point i think it's a couple of things one of them there's there's the practical side and there's the mindset side and they're both really important so do you mind if I start with the mindset side to answer this more fully? So the mindset side is if you're in a job is reconfiguring your thinking of a job equaling safety. And let me speak to that now, because you know, we're in a, we're going into a downturn. We're in a weird time, everyone. And I started what well, I didn't, probably tell you in um, before is I started my business in the last big downturn. So I started it just in fact, I started it because of the downturn, I'd say. So my last ever job was just before the credit crunch happened, like in 0809. And I was working in London. I was a strategy consultant working for a small consultancy. And our offices were in the city right near where Lehman Brothers building was. And if anyone remembers their history, Lehman Brothers is like one of the first companies that went down when the financial crash happened. And um, I were, had been planning, I'd been doing what so many of us do. I was like, I know this life isn't the life I want. I'm like, I'm working super long hours. My boss is completely insane um, in the best sense, but totally nuts. And I'm burning out and I don't want to be here in 10 years or in any version of this in 10 years. So I'd taken that dream seriously, which is by the first thing I tell people is take your dream seriously. I like, do something about it. So like, six months or maybe even a year before I'd started working with a coach, a career coach. And I'd started looking at what else I could do. And I was like, huh, there's a couple of things I want to do. So I might develop a portfolio career. And so I'd started looking at doing what I did firstly as a freelancer, like going in on projects, which is a very great way of starting without reinventing the wheel. Big fan of that. And I wanted a more 
creative path. So I looked a few other businesses, including I was really good at getting jobs. And so I uh, basically developed, I did a little bit, a little bit of retraining on the side as a career coach. Um, though any career coach will tell you that their training is usually not worth it. And I learned more actually by coaching people. So I did a bit of co to help people actually get jobs, which is ironic if you look what I do now. So I, I'd been doing this stuff. I'd been doing what we call free range projects, which is where you actually try something out. And I'll talk more about that in a second, but that's one of the main things I tell people. You don't have to quit your job to try something out. And then I took my first vacation from the job that I was in to go out. I think for two weeks, we went to Israel, crossed, uh, did a land crossing over to Jordan and were like literally in the desert, um, staying with the Bedouin. Um, and I was offline for like five days. First time I'd been offline that long. And I turned the news on and on the news is literally a picture of the office that I was in, like the street we were on, and all these people walking out of the building opposite, carrying cardboard boxes with all their stuff in it. And I was like, am I, did I, am I dream? What, what is this thing? And so we go online, look, and I'm like, oh my God, the, we're in a recession. Like the financial system has crashed. And so I go back to work and every day, you know, I had this grand plan to go part time to quit in like a year or two years. Like I was really risk averse. And every day I'm looking out my window and there's these literally these pot plants are dying on people's mm -hmm. shelves because they're not there. And those people were working till like past midnight. Like these weren't just like high paid bankers. They're also juniors. They were also people who were giving their all probably, you know, not quite paid enough. And I'm like, what am I doing here? How secure is this job? How do I know I'm not going to get offed? And so when I started, I firstly negotiated to go part-time properly. Within a week of that, I was like, you know, money's going to be tight for you guys. How about we go part-time to push myself to do my own thing, which is a great idea. And then the day before, no, the week before I was meant to start part-time, um, I had an injury at work. Like I was helping move some desks and stuff in an event. Like, and I pulled my back. I was in so much pain. I felt like it was a huge sign for me. I went into work the next day. I remember I was like in tears. I was on the tube in London. I was literally crying from pain. Like I could, it was so bad. I get there and I'm like, I can't do this. I need to go to like a hospital or a doctor. This is so bad. And I walk into my boss's office and I was like, hey, uh, this thing's happened. I'm going to have to go now. I'll see, you know, I've, I've handed over my work for the day. I'll see you later. And he looks at me, he goes, you can't go home. I was like, no, no, let me re-explain. I got injured on the job yeah. and I need to go now. And he's like, oh, he's like panicking. We had a client pitch. He's like, not today. You can't go today. And I was like, okay, fine. So I walked back in and the, there was this guy who I worked with, like a more junior to me was there. And he looks at me and I was like, don't say anything. And I sit there and I literally hand over everything. I send this to my, my colleague an email. I'm like, this is what I'm going to need your help with today. Cause I'm going. And I wrote a resignation letter and I printed it and I handed it on my boss and I walked out and wow. that was how I quit my job. <laughs> you go girl. I just got full goosebumps. Yeah. Can I just tell you, people always say, Oh my gosh, you must be so brave. I was like, I couldn't have stayed there. Like I was also in the middle of a massive anxiety spiral, which I didn't realize. But now I look back, I'm like, huh, that's what anxiety looks like. I was in super anxious. My heart rate was always up. And so I didn't quit my job out of bravery. I quit my job because I couldn't stay any longer because yeah. it was breaking me. And I feel lucky. And some of it, sometimes people ignore that. 
and then they start a huge decline. And sometimes people don't have things go that bad. And so things just peter on over the years and that's almost worse. Um, but yeah, that, that's why I just wanted to share that because it happened in a recession. What that meant was I had to learn how to build in a downturn with yeah. no financial backup. And that, that teaches you a lot. So I'm happy to share some of those lessons if you'd like. For sure. There's a few things I wanted to yeah. just call out. Um, thank you for sharing that story. And also for sharing that it wasn't out of bravery. It was out of necessity. Like you couldn't go on any longer. And truly you were listening to your own inner guidance. It just took you to get a back injury, you know, to be yeah. pressed up to the point to then make a decision. So thank you for sharing that. In your book, you shared something that I was like, bing, this makes so much sense. And it's to exactly what you're talking about, which is, you know, you, we are under the impression that we are working for somebody in a, in a corporate job and no um, bad feelings about any of that. But another way of looking at it is, you know, you, from what you say is like, your employer is your one client. You're dependent 100% on this one client where you could potentially no longer have this client. To your point, you could, you know, people are getting let go all over the place. You're yeah. in a recession. Same thing for people that it might be experiencing now. They're seeing people get laid off. They're seeing, you know, people lose their jobs. Now you've got this one client. And really, to your point in the book, you're saying it doesn't add up. So, yeah. Um, can you share a little bit more about, uh, you know, okay, we're stuck in this myth kind of, or this framework that we are supposed to have this one client only, and that's where our security is, but you're saying mm. something else. You're saying you have a lot of other options and just share, share with us what that is, especially right now. I think it's so important. Well, one thing I assume most of your listeners are us based. One thing that shocked me, I used to so I said for years, I have said this, I'm like, if you have a job, you literally have one client uh, and your security is your notice period. And then I came to the US and I was like, what are people's notice periods here? And they're like, we don't really have one, like one month. Two. I was like, whoa, okay. I was talking like six months of security. You guys are literally talking. I've seen this firsthand here. I've seen people you know, I've known losing their jobs, having a month at most. That's insanity. If you're a business owner, and you have one revenue stream and that revenue stream can go away the next day. You have a terrible contract in place, number one, and two, you don't have any security. So we really need to change this. I think there's this psychological thing that happens when you have a place to go to, you have, you know, your benefits, you have all of this stuff. It's like, oh, it's secure. No, it's not secure. It's secure as long as you're needed. Or, you know, if you're in a small business that super cares for you, they might be able to extend that with their care, but that's not, that's not the norm. So firstly, if that's not secure, what is secure? Well, I mean, that's a bigger question. I don't think anything in our life is secure. I think we have a lot of illusions of security. So first up, I think when all of this hit this time round with you know, the pandemic and the economy, like questions, my free range friends were the least freaked out of anyone. Because we were like, huh, we know life isn't secure. Like, that's not a surprise to us. So I think there was a lot of illusions breaking for people. But the second thing is we started to go, how can I pivot? How can I respond? How can I future-proof? How can I change my revenue streams? And we started getting to action. And I say this line in my book, which is that true freedom is the freedom to dance with the changes yeah. that, can, that will come your way. And I'm like, if you don't have the freedom to dance with the changes now, and you don't want to be in the job you're in, I think we need to stop using the word security. 
And so what, one thing I encourage people who are in that position to do is to say, as of, you know, you, at the end of my book, something I say is as of today, you're a free range human. And that means that your job is your one client. So treat it as such. It's not, how do I quit this job? It's like, how do I transition from having one client that pays my full-time income to adding in another client and another client and another client? And that's a very much more gentle mindset to go in with. And so one way, you know, I get people to do that is to say, if you can't leave your job immediately, which most people can't or aren't, maybe aren't ready to do, is to run a project where you take the essence of an idea that you have and you distill it down into something that you can try out in a month or in a couple of weeks. So if you have an idea for, I don't know, some meditation app that you're like, I've got this huge idea. It would be amazing. I'm like, cool. Have you taught meditation before? Oh no, you haven't. Cool. Have you been paid to teach it? No. Well, how about you get four people and you teach them meditation? <laughs> if you've taught it before and you'd like to run these worldwide groups, well, how about you run like one step up from what you've done? How about you get a group together on Zoom? And you kind of like your every project is a step up from where you are. But it starts with what's your minimum viable action and doing it. And what happens at that, obviously, as you'll know, is that you end up, it ends up going from being this big thing that we overthinking perfectionists can often create into being something that's real. Like you're in really in business if you've done this. And then you've really done the step up if you've done the next thing. So I, we get people to run projects, look at the feedback from themselves, from others, and to layer up in that way. And I think that's a really like realistic and actually a lot more fun way to do something. I love the idea of putting your mind around this as a project because people are able to say, oh, I could do a project. You know, you do projects in your home, you do projects mm -hmm. in your life. Um, but now to say, okay, I can have this idea of something I want to run with and I'm just going to try, I'm going to test. And it really, that's what businesses are doing. You know, businesses have little pods of groups who do beta tests to see if this actually is going to work. And so it's, it's really, um, inviting to say, okay, yeah. I can test this little project in my own world, in my own idea. Um, tell us a little bit, um, uh, about perfectionism <laughs> so many things <laughs> and how this interrupts us from being able to go after what our heart's desires are so wait, wait here's a question for you would you describe yourself some as a perfectionist no would you describe yourself as someone who has high standards <sighs> to some yeah 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 no, that's, I think that's, that's a really important distinction that is, I want to make for people is that as sometimes when we are a perfectionist, we confuse high standards with perfectionism and they're actually super different things. Yeah, so, right. So as a, like when I've been in my perfectionist cycles, I seem to cycle between it as we all, we all do, I think. Me and my perfectionist cycles, I've used high standards as an excuse for perfectionism. Perfectionism is being in a state where you're not going to execute on something until every single thing is perfect. And the reality of that is that's very different to high standards because high standards are, I am going to do the absolute best I can possibly do on this thing, but make it real. And they're so, so different. So for example, if 
the way that our perfectionism can get in our way is we look out at something that's really established. We look out at that person who has a big following, at that book that we love, or that, that thing that we want to do. And we say, I'm going to do my own version of that, but I'm not going to release it till it looks and feels like that and isn't as successful as that. Now that's perfectionism. Of course, what happens is the idea gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then we never release it because it's never that good. And high standards comes from a different perspective. That comes from a perspective of saying, how did those things get created? And having done the research on this, I can shortcut your answer. It got created by doing exactly what I just described. People started out with something that was scrappy and small, and they did it with a small group of people. They did their first draft. They ran the thing with for people rather than waiting to create a huge online course funnel with 10,000 people. That's how they got there. And it's not a mistake because it's actually in the doing the projects that you get to learn. And when you get to learn what works and what doesn't, your next round is higher quality. Your next round is higher quality. And then by the time you're at like a couple of rounds down the line, you have this thing that perfectionists, perfectionists look at and say, how do I do that? And so I always say, separate between perfectionism and high standards. If you're stand, if you are saying, I can't do it because I can't possibly release it until it looks like th the way everyone else's looks, I would say, stop looking at how it looks, those things look today and get curious about how they looked on day one, day two and day three, because that's where you're going to get your right answers from. And I learned this on the ground, by the way, massive perfectionist. That's what I was just going to ask you, you know, is this something that you've learned along the way? Is this somebody, somebody yeah. told you and educated you about how did you become to start to notice the distinction between perfectionism and high standards? Well, I, firstly, I, as a lifelong perfectionist, you know, I definitely had that. Actually, there's a lot of ego in it. And I definitely had this ego of, well, you know, sure, everyone says to start small, but that's because like they're they're kind of not as good at things or they don't hold high standards. And that's really what we're saying, by the way, like, let's call it out. And that's what we're actually saying when we're saying I, I'm a perfectionist. We're saying they might start small, but I'm not going to do that. And a few things shifted that. One of them was learning on the ground that that just didn't work. So I remember starting out and I was creating, it was meant to be like a career course. I helping people like, figure out their right job. And I spent ages on this brand that I was like, I'm going to get it right. My people have high standards. I'm not going to mess around with a silly brand. So I got like a designer to design a logo. I spent ages on the copy. I spent like three months developing course content, like the classic everything. Put it out there. Nothing happened. Like nothing. No one bought. No one looked at it. Um, fast forward to like a year later, I'd scrapped the entire brand. Like, and the brand I had, I think a year and a half later, maybe, I can't remember the exact time frame, was this little blog that I had on the side that I started for free on like a free, I don't know if it exists now, but some free blogging platform. And I called it Free Range Humans. And I'd hand drawn this chicken logo because that was like, that's just my personality. I was going to hand draw something and just like put it on there because I thought it was funny. Um, and I'd been blogging on it and I'd been sending that to people. Like I meet people at workshops that I'd, I'd co-run with other organizations. I'd meet people. I'd get their names down on a list. I'd put them on a, a very basic email list. And every week I'd send them like some blog posts and some cool stuff. That was all everyone wanted to talk about was my scrappy little blog. People didn't even know the name of my first brand. Wow. They were like, is Free Range Humans doing anything? What are you doing with free range humans? I was like, no, that's my blog. That's stupid. No one wants that brand. And I ended up through like 
like coaches and I was working with like at the time and friends of mine saying, it's time to stop trying to be the perfect thing and actually be who you are. Um, and that's how I learned. And that's how I learned that my high standards had completely blocked me to what was working in reality. That's beautiful. And thank God for good friends and coaches and also <laughs> being able to just be able to hear, you know, uh, and move aside from your ego and any, you know, perfectionism of what things have to look like and, yeah. and letting things be organic and natural. How do you, how do you connect with your inner guidance? Like, how did, how do you do that for you? And how do you know you're connecting to your inner guidance and not your ego or fear? Whoa, that's big. <laughs> um, if I had a two-part formula, I'd definitely tell you. But I, okay, here's some, here's some things I found really helpful. Um, listening to my body and not my head has been the biggest lesson I have been working on and will probably work on all my life on that. Um, I'm very lucky in that my body is incredibly sensitive. Um, I grew up actually very ill as a child all the time. Like I was out of school. If it was a month, I'd be out at least like a week and a half to two weeks every month. Like just anything, I'd get it. And I've now learned if my body isn't well, it's telling me something. Like a pain is telling me something. Um, if I feel like if something makes me feel a sense of contraction of going smaller, it isn't the right thing. If I feel a sense of expansiveness, it is. So I start to listen to where my energy is. So one thing I've, one question I was once asked many years ago, I think it was by someone doing energy work with me was where do you go in your head when you feel threatened or you feel challenged? And I said, I'm not in my head. I feel like I exit my body and I'm like, almost like I want to go run out of my head, like be out of my body. And she's like, well, that's the work is to, when that happens, what would it take to feel, feel yourself be back in your body? And I know it's like a, that's a very big picture thing to say, but whenever I start to feel this sense that I almost like, you ever had that sense you have such a, like maybe it's just such a big idea or something feels so big that you end up, it's almost like you're up in the clouds and floating with it. You're not grounded. And that's when I say, okay, I need to do the work to be more grounded. That might mean shutting things off. It might mean journaling. It might mean I paint a lot um, just for myself. I do intuitive painting. So it might be painting more. And in that moment of stillness, when I'm not trying to overthink it, when I'm not trying to like escape my body and be like, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this, and it's all this crazy big energy. That's when I can start to see things just a little bit more clearly. So I'd say if you're, a, especially if you're like a real overthinker and you're like, I can't hear my intuition, I can't hear my guidance. There's something we talk about in my book and in our courses called defrosting, which is if you are, a, you know, you set high standards for yourself, you can think, get caught up in your head a lot. Sometimes we end up putting up these almost like these walls to ourselves where we've had to learn to tamp down our desires, our yeses. So we don't, we said yes so many times when we meant no. Like we said yes to the job when we really had a, there was something in us that knew it was wrong. We said yes to the relationship that we knew was wrong. And of course that didn't work out. So there's all these moments and we, in all the times we say no when we mean yes, we really mess up our, our internal GPS. And so part of my work and the work I do with people is getting back in touch with your internal GPS. So we call it defrosting. It's like actually melting down the walls so you can hear your yes and no. And so, you know, I have this a lot when I'm making a decision, there are ways of tapping into 
my yes and no because I've had so much pattern recognition about what they really feel like. And if your pattern recognition isn't there, you're not going to know what it is. So I often think people go, what is intuition? I'm like, well, there's a lot of things we could say, but one of them is pattern recognition. Yeah. We recognize what a yes. Yeah. Does that get make sense? Oh, a hundred thousand percent. You're making so much sense. And um, over time, you know, you're saying people are saying yes to things they mean no and no to things they mean yes. And you're essentially cutting off and becoming numb, right? You can yeah, no longer yeah. hear your internal guidance. Um, and absolutely, it makes sense. I just interviewed a medium, a psychic medium, and she wrote a book called 10 Minutes to Intuition. And it's beautiful and it's really well done. But what it's allowing you to do is in 10 minutes, you're noticing these patterns so that you can over time begin to say, oh, I've been here before. You know, you don't have to wait till you're, um, you know, I have a huge injury and have back pain and now your back is literally against the wall and you need to make decisions. You've heard the signs and the, and the pattern before leading up to it, that moment or just as an example. Um, perfect. Can I add something to that? I think the question then comes up is, and I can almost hear it in some listeners like heads, but what if I have a yes to something that isn't realistic? What if I have a no to something I need to do? Um, I just want to speak to that if you don't mind. Yes, please um, there's something I, that has been really helpful to me and I use with clients a lot, which is this question, uh, this idea of setting a game. So when you set a game that you're going to play, you don't have to know how you're going to win the game or how you're going to be successful in the game, but it's by setting it that you start to find answers. So realizing that you have a big no to your job or even something in your business or something in your life doesn't mean that you have to quit it tomorrow, although you're welcome to if you can, um, but it doesn't mean you have to. Like you can feel anything and realize anything and then you have a choice about whether you act on it. So the thing that you can do is if you're like, oh no, I just did that. And even though I already know what my, yes. by the way, if you're listening and you're like, I don't want to know what my intuition would say, cause I know what, I, I'm not ready to hear it. Then you do know what your intuition would say because Ooh, yeah. you don't want to hear it. Like yeah. it's, you already know. So if you yeah. know what your intuition is saying, what I'd say to you is like, do two things. One of the first things is decide the game you're going to play moving forward. So the game you might play for the next three to six months is, I am going for the next three or six months. I, I know that where I am now, like my heart, my gut has always told me, I didn't want to hear it, but I do know that it's not the right place. And maybe I don't know where that next place is. So the game I'm playing is to find out what my next best steps are going to be. And you can play that game, but it doesn't like put your life at risk. You can play the game. You're like, Oh, okay. So that's my game. And then that's the next game. Or if you're like, Oh, I do know, but I don't know if anyone wants what I have to offer. Then the game you play is step two, which is run a project and running a project is trying things out, seeing where you fit. And so I always say, make the, the, the dream and the, the intention, the thing that you feel, turn it into something that's a game that has a time limit that you're like, you know, for this period, I am playing the game of finding this out, of trying this out, of doing this, and then come back to what's possible. You know, I hear people say all the time, but it's impossible for me to quit my job. And I'm like, okay, so why is it impossible? They're like, oh, because I have a family. I'm like, okay, good. Now, so why is it impossible to quit your job? And they said, well, because I take care of my family. I said, you're, that, that's a very emotive statement. So tell me what you mean by take care of your family. They said, well, I have to earn enough money. And I'm like, okay. So you have to earn enough money. How much money do you need to earn? And then they, they're like, 
I, I guess the same as now, maybe a little less so, uh, or maybe more. I don't know. And I'm like, okay, write it down. Like, tell me how much money. There's a difference between saying I have to not end up on the streets or I have to take care of my family. And here is a specific problem that I need to solve, which is I need this much money every month taking into account like health insurance. Heads up, I just moved to the US and I just learned how much health insurance is. So that's a thing. I'm paying yeah. that. Yeah. It's possible, by the way, to pay your own health insurance. That's a that's sure. all of the conversation. But make it into a, um, a logistical question instead of an emotive question. Um, and I'm a very emotive person, so I'm the first to go there. But if it's too emotive to look at and you say, I'm not allowed to ask that question, am I, people of all types and all situations ask that question. So ask it make it logical, make it clear. Don't expect to go from asking the question to finding the answer in one sitting. No one does that. Um, if they did that, they probably wouldn't be listening in. Yeah. Um, go and say, now I'm going to play that game. Now I'm going to do that project and take it one step at a time. And I can tell you when you've gone through it, and I've seen people do this recently, when times get tough in like a recession time, you'll be grateful that you did because you'll have started a project that means you can bring in money on the side. You won't you'll know that you don't have to be reliant on one client anymore. And it ends up coming full circle. And today I look at things, I'm like, it feels unrealistic for me to rely on one client for my whole business. I would find that completely unrealistic. And so I think it's very much a perception shift and proving to yourself what works. Absolutely. Um, and I love this concept of what one can do, all can do. So there's not like this, magical person who's out there in the world who's making it all happen you know you do have to be accountable and take actions and all of this amazing resources and guidance that you provided as projects and making a game like all of those things are inviting and adaptable and things that you can do right now when you have the time we have more mm -hmm. time ever than we've ever had before yeah. when we can sit with ourselves all right so I want to be mindful of your time because we are approaching the end. Um, but I did want to just ask you a few rapid fire questions because they're always fun. What is your favorite word now? <laughs> I mean, it probably still is liminal. Okay. <laughs> like, come on, it's my favorite word forever. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's fair. Um, what is your, what is bringing you so much joy right now during this time? Ooh, I'd say painting, like I'm obsessed with painting. Like it's what yeah. I do. I, I'm so joyful in doing it. I'm so grateful to have, to have the, yeah, the opportunity to think more about that. Yeah. Did you paint when you were little? Yeah. My mum was, um, she used to teach me art. She, she learned art in France many years ago and I was very resistant, but I painted then. And the, the next time I painted as an adult was actually when I was writing the first edition of my book and I was super blocked. And I didn't know how to get unblocked. And the only thing I wanted to do, I was actually in, in Tuscany randomly. I was free range. Probably should have mentioned I was like location independent for five years. Whole other story. Anyway, I was free ranging, writing my book in Italy. And all I wanted to do was paint rather than hit deadline. Painted for two days and got really unblocked on the writing. So it's, it's such an important practice for, for overthinkers to have something physical that's not, not word-based. Yes, play. Play, yes, right? play. It's so much fun. <laughs> Do you feel like you can feel your mom when you're painting? You oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, she would be, my dad saw my pictures. Uh, she passed away, gosh, it's coming up to like many years ago. Um, and my dad saw a, a picture of my, of my painting and he was like, oh my gosh, she'd be so proud. Like I was just painting for myself just for fun. And he's like, I can see her there. So yeah, it's oh, a big link to her. That. 
Okay, final question. If you could put one belief into the minds of everybody in the world, one belief, <laughs> what would it be? That who you are at your core is more than okay. It's more than enough. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Marianne, thank you so much for being here. Seriously, such a pleasure. You have are just so much information and just made it so real and adaptable for all of us. So I really, really appreciate and honor all your wisdom and all the work you're doing. I will share all the ways that you can connect with her. Her book is amazing. Please make sure you pick it up. It is just as um, straightforward and no BS. <laughs> like I love the part in your book where you're like, just do the damn exercise. <laughs> because I skip exercises too. But yeah, we re-released it last year and it's so funny. It feels so timely now. Like I was telling my, my fiance the other day, I was like, we, I created this start of this at the inner recession and we're going into another one. And it feels like the time has come where we, we all need a little bit for a free range thinking. So I'm, I'm sure. really enjoying diving into it. Yeah, there's no coincidence. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning in to Inner Guidance Daily Podcast, episode number 11 with Marianne Cantwell. I seriously could listen to her for days. I love her accent. And she shared so much information, really get you thinking on how do I start? Where do I start? Where do I begin when I have something I really want to do or I want to adjust my lifestyle, change my career, start a project, um, start a game. I love those ideas and those concepts. It makes it so real for us. Thank you for tuning in. It means so much that you're here. If you want to stay connected to me, feel free to follow me on Instagram at innerrebel.co. And if you're listening, if you're listening to this on iTunes, I would love it if you could leave me a review. And if you need anything, you know where to connect with me, Lauren at innerrebel.co. I'm here for anything, any questions, comments, thoughts, feelings. You help to build this podcast, so feel free to reach out anytime. I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Take care, be well, and be safe.